Hello, hello, hello. This is Tooth Be Told, Dr. Kayo Dumpert. Hi, Dr. Walter Aka. And we uh, are with Dr. Chris Godla. Welcome. Thank you, you know, I, I want to do this again. Uh, uh, Dr. Chris, can you just show us your actual background? Because you see Kyle's and I's background, and then you see his. And that's actually not <laughs> even uh, digitally like enhanced. That's literally his background. Uh, so, so I, I hate him for this right now. It's just purely just jealousy. So I'm, I'm going to put it out there right now. <laughs> so, so Dr. Chris Godla, uh, I went to dental school with Chris. That's where mm -hmm. I met him. And, uh, he, he's currently a new practice owner on Kauai in Hawaii. And I thought it would be a good time to bring him onto the show to talk about his experience on how he got to where he is and and what he's experienced the past year with the pandemic and living on an island that's been shut off to the world, basically, right. and uh, buying a practice and everything else. So, uh, again, welcome, Chris, and uh, give us a little bit of your history and how you got yeah. to where you are. So... Kyle and I graduated from Pitt in 2013, and I did an AEGD over on the big island of Hawaii in a city called Hilo. And after that, so why? I, how, how'd you get there? What what uh, what made you go to Hilo, Hawaii? Right, there's like uh, you have 49, you know, actually 48 states you could pick from. And you said, I'm going to go ahead and avoid all that and just go to an island. How did you get to that point? I basically just looked at, you know, sunny, warm, tropical <laughs> places where I could stay. <laughs> you know, I think my parents, my family were like, oh, yeah, he'll, he'll do that for a year. He'll come back. You know, he'll, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh. So. Um, so, so I flew to Maui. I flew to Oahu, uh, other Hawaiian islands. I flew to the big island and... You know, I met with the current residents and, you know, ultimately the only island where anybody surfed was the big island. And, you know, I, I lived with one of the residents who was doing a second year. Uh, he, he's actually a periodontist practicing nice. on the big island now. His name is Jeremy Oakley. So we roomed together when we, we were both residents and just surfed and practiced dentistry. You know, can I, can I just say that I'm starting to get a trend here. It seems like everybody that does very well and kind of knows what they're doing are the people that end up doing at least one year residency. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Because that allows you to explore the world and kind of get to kind of know what you want to do. You know, and that's another that's another reason why I honestly think a year residency is something that should be needed. You know, well, it well let's be honest. I, I, I can speak for myself that I wasn't comfortable seeing patients on my own coming out of pit. I, I needed right. that one year of extra treatment or extra right. education to, to feel comfortable. I don't know. If, I, mean, I mean, we all went to pit, so we, we all had right. the same education. Right. Right. And then, you know, I'm not saying that pit is not a good doesn't prepare you to do it because I know people from my class who graduated and went straight to work. Right. Mm. Um, but what I'm saying is the fact that, you know, Chris here decided to go and explore somewhere totally different from Pittsburgh. Mm. Right. And then found basically an area that maybe he would have never known if you would have went and or stayed in Pittsburgh and worked. Right. You see, and that's, that's I think that's what's so cool about like at least doing a year of residency. You get to go somewhere different. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I does California mandate it in place of licensure. You can do, uh, yeah, Cali and New York, you can do that, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Right. So you, you finished your residency in on Hilo, and then where'd you go from there? And then I was like, okay, like I need a real job. I think I made like, I don't know, 40,000 bucks in that, that year, so I could like barely afford food. <laughs> I, I got to get something paying a little bit more, so... There's basically one big dental chain in Hawaii. It's called Hawaii Family Dental. Okay. So I called them up because, you know, I, I don't have any, well, I had very few contacts in the dental world, you know, maybe just a couple on Hawaii Island. And <clears throat> so I called up the, the CEO and he's like, sure, let's go out and have a coffee. And he's like, I can use you in two places. I can use you in Kona, which is on the western side of Hawaii Island, or you can go out to Kauai. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I've already been to Kona. 
I know what it's like. Let's go to Kauai. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've been over here ever since and it's been what, seven years. So I worked in corporate dentistry for it was almost six years, which, you know, that has a whole series of ups and downs and, you know, I learned quite a bit, but I, you know, came to a point where I was like, this is just not going to work anymore. And, you know, I wanted to be my own boss. And I was like, so through the local Hawaii Dental Association and the Kauai County Dental Society, I met, you know, most of the dentists on the island. And a lot of the older dentists basically wanted to retire after COVID or, or during COVID. So I, I reached out to a couple of them and, you know, one dentist in particular, his name was John Black. He'd been on the island for over 50 years. I think he was practicing for just about 50 years. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. So I worked out an agreement with him and took his practice over. And uh, it's been about six months now. And we're, we're doing really well. We're busy. Patients seem receptive. And um, yeah, it seems to be okay. Let me, can I ask, uh, when it comes to your mind shift change, you went from corporate and you worked for them for how long? Almost six years. Six years. What mindset, like what changed mindset wise that said, you know what, I'm ready, right? What changed in like the six years that said, you know what, I'm ready to do this? Was it finances? Like, hey, I'm done my student loans. Was it just being tired of having to deal with or answer to other people? Like what changed? I think a lot of it had to do with the finances. I think, you know, the particular company I was working for basically took all the dentists off of a production-based model and put everyone on a collections-based model with, and, you know, cut us, I don't know, 10 or 15% in terms of what we were making. And, you know, I looked at the numbers and I was like, you know, look, I'm better off risking, you know, something on my own rather than working for, you know, the percentages they were willing to give me. And, you know, I, I'd saved up. I, you know, I have a nice house, but I live fairly frugally. And I was like, if I'm going to take a risk, like now's the time, you know, I, I'm young, yeah, I'm healthy and let's go for it. So I, I think it was basically just a combination of like COVID and the, you know, financial pressures that the company was facing. And I was just like, I, I got to get out of here. And I, I think the way you did it is with, with uh, the dental school school year uh, coming to a close here soon and a bunch of graduates coming out, everybody's going to be either looking for jobs or uh, there, there's going to be a flood of dentists hitting the market here pretty soon. And I think the way you went about trying to find an office, you weren't contacting a broker and having a broker find different opportunities for you. You really hit the ground, uh, did the work yourself. You sent letters, you met with uh, all the dentists on the island. And granted, Kauai is not a, a big place. And so it's a very small community. We all, uh, we knew each other there. You know, everybody there as far as the dental community. So it's a little bit easier, I think, to reach out, but it's, uh, you kind of created your own opportunity there by going out and seeking those um, that opportunity versus you know, relying on somebody else or waiting for somebody to post a practice up for sale. Yeah, I think, it, you know, the transition itself couldn't have gone much better. You know, we basically did it on a handshake. Um, you know, the dentist, Dr. Black, he goes, you know, I've never used an attorney in my life up until now. So, I mean, I was, I was kind of shocked when he said that, but I mean, I, I don't use attorneys or anything. So, I mean, it was, you know, he's basically around the practice. He'll just randomly pop in, you know, the patients love him. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, I looked at a number of practices before some through brokers, some through, you know, just word of mouth. And, um, yeah, I, I basically waited years for just the right one. And I, I think this is so far it's, it's been the right choice, but, um, so while yeah, the, the rest of the world is suffering from COVID, uh, <laughs> you're, you're saying there is a silver lining for you. Cause that, I, I get the sense that that helped you kind of push you into, uh, making that switch. Do you, did that have anything to do with it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, COVID, you know, 
basically I had a few months off and it just gave me some perspective to just, you know, kind of take a step back and say, look, you know, I, I'm ready to make this move. And, you know, just gave me some time to really plan it out. Well, and I mean, I think we should talk about the whole collecting versus production uh, method of getting paid. Right. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but production is what you do, what you is what you get paid for doing. So it's mm -hmm. what you do, you get paid for doing it. Collection, you're kind of at the mercy of the office being able to collect the money. Absolutely. And you said yeah. you lost percentage wise. What was it again? I think they, they cut our percent down like 10%. So if I was doing like 35% of production, I think it was like 25% of collections, which, right. you know, I don't necessarily. That's huge. That's a trust number. Yeah. Yeah. See, when, that, that's something that a lot of uh, students, like you said, Kyle, coming out, they're going to have to face that and understand what that means. Sometimes an office will tell you, oh, it's 25% of collection or 30% of collection. Oh, and, and but don't worry about it, by the way. We're close to 100% when it comes to collection. That's BS. Right. Right. I don't know. I have yet to meet a single office that is 100% collection. Yeah. I have yet to meet that office, you know? Uh, you, you'll see. They'll be like, oh, well, we're just going to write this off. If you write right. it off, it doesn't mean, yeah, sure, you didn't collect it and maybe it might not hit your collection, but that doesn't mean you're 100%. You just ignored that money. And you as the doctor are not in charge of that write-off. It's somebody else that's in charge of that write-off. So you never see that money and there, there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's kind of a scary predicament to be in because you, you're basically at the mercy of a company or a front desk person, you know, somebody making these calls to try to make the collections and you just, you don't know what's going to happen. So I would suspect that their collections were somewhere in the 80 percentile, you know, I, they certainly were not 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. Not even close. Um, <laughs> can you talk about, so you found a practice. And now, you know, Dr. Black, you guys are good. You're setting up, like, how did that whole go? That, that transition of, how you know, how do you get the uh, office in your name? Do you have to change the name? What did you see when it came to patients and retention and so forth? I, I mean, so far it's been pretty good. Um, there's definitely been some issues just in terms of, you know, I think at, at a certain point, a lot of the dentists will see the patients almost as their friends. And that's definitely what I saw in this particular practice. And I think because of that, you know, he gave a lot of discounts and um, I, I don't know if, you know, maybe financially he was set and didn't have to make a lot on the practice. Like it didn't have to be very profitable, but you know, when I took it over, I basically just made sure that we were collecting what we should and, um, the office itself, I think, hadn't really been updated in probably 30 or 40 years. So, you know, I recently changed up the hygiene room chair. I've got new sterilizers, um, new hand pieces, new x-ray sensors. You know, he was basically paper charts, uh, still kind of using some paper <laughs> charts. <laughs> Which I it's a long transition. It's a long transition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, the money, where did you get the money to actually make some of these upgrades? Was it at the bank or did he kind of finance you? How did that work? Uh, so basically I went through a local bank and I, I shopped around. I, you know, checked out, you know, Wells Fargo and U.S. Bank and Central Pacific Bank is actually the bank I used, which is a, a local um, lender. And you know, they have like a special niche branch and the guy I used was, his name is Scott Kurosawa and he just manages basically all the dental financing and he's, you know, they financed other practices. So I took out a few hundred thousand to buy it and then I took out some working capital and used the working capital to finance some of the improvements. Um, was, so there now, any, was there any hesitation with it being in the middle of a pandemic that the banks uh, weren't willing to lend quite as much? Did you run into that at all? Were they still saying, look, your dentistry is a good profession to be in. We're not worried about it. Take whatever you need. So, somewhere in between those two extremes, I think, you know, it wasn't just here's a blank check, you know, just buy whatever <laughs> you want. Uh, 
Well, if that's the case, I want to open up a bank account with them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fortunately, the, the guy I used at Central Pacific, Scott, he was very familiar with the practice. He'd been in it, you know, a number of times over the years. You know, I think he he understood the the patient base, and you know, uh, a lot of the patients are you know prominent members of the community. They're doctors. They own the local car dealerships. You know, so you know they're great patients, and I think that understanding in a bank that, you know, is willing to work with you, you know, is, is key. So, you know, I, I would definitely look at local lenders if you're a new grad looking to buy something, you know, and just, just having that kind of local knowledge was, you know, really favorable for me. And, um, you know, in terms of COVID, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think that the pandemic definitely influenced their financing of the the project a little bit, but just because of that insider knowledge, you know, they, they pushed it through. I think up to a certain loan limit, uh, the, the fees to take out the loans are very, very affordable. I think I paid less than $200 in terms of origination fees for the practice mm -hmm. loan, which is great. I think if you like go above a certain threshold, it's, you know, becomes a couple thousand or whatever. So, um, you know, it was almost considered like a, a mini startup in some ways, just because there was the, the patients were there, but you know, the facility was pretty run down, you know, so, um, just another facet of the deal. What was the biggest challenges that you thought, uh, looking back, from the time you decided to buy or that you wanted your own place till where you are now, what do you think some of the bigger challenges were for you? I think just having a good staff, you know, mm -hmm. that was, I was really, really nervous about that, you know, more so than probably anything else. Like, will the staff stay? Like, will that key front desk person, you know, be there to help with the transition because, you know, they know the patients inside and out and, you know, they know that, you know, Mrs. Yamaguchi can only come Thursday afternoons. And so I think, you know, I, I was actually able to retain the, the front desk. I retained the assistant. I retained one hygienist. Um, the other hygienist was the practice owner's ex-wife. And she had oh. been there. Yeah, so she was there for <laughs> 47 years with him. So I, I don't know how they made that work, but they did. Oh. <laughs> and... I, I wanted to retain her. Uh, you know, unfortunately, though, a few months in, she's like, I just, I, I think I need to retire. She's 70 years old. And so, oh, wow. Yeah, I attracted another hygienist from a different office. So I think st staffing is just always kind of in flux. And I know that one of our advisors, Kyle, is like, always be looking for, right. for good staff. So I think, uh, what I found is my current staff is actually the greatest source of referrals, mm. you know, in terms of other staff out there. So I, I yeah, I, I rely on them like, Hey, like, do you know of another assistant? And that's, that's how we got our second assistant. So I, I guess I feel like you and Kyle kind of are in the same situation where, you know, it's a small community, right? So, I mean, I'm in Houston and it's hard to find a good assistant. You know, and you're in a small community. How are you guys managing to find um, good quality, you know, staffing, like you said, and pay scale wise? Like, does that mean that you have to pay them more because they're so limited or how does that whole thing? And, and how did you think about that when you were taking over? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of pay, like if I have a good assistant, I will definitely pay them at the higher end of the pay scale, which you know, I, I know that the corporate job I used to have, you know, they might pay their assistant seventeen dollars, twenty dollars an hour. Pennies in the dollar, yeah. You know, for a better assistant you might pay, you know, over twenty, close to twenty five dollars an hour, which is significant, but you know, just in terms of making our job easier, I think it's crucial. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, it's definitely a very, very small community. Basically, everybody knows everybody else, you know. Uh, yeah, I think just uh, having a good reputation as a provider, as a, like a fair business owner, you know, not trying to, 
you know, cheat the patients, cheat the staff, you know, if, if an issue arises, just address it immediately. Like, Hey, like, cause things will come up, things will happen. And, um, it's like, Hey, can you take a look at my paycheck? Dr. Godla, you know, it looks like this is inaccurate, you know, just instantly look, Oh, sorry, fix it. You know, whatever. You know, cause I, I hear all sorts of stories like, Oh, this other office I used to work in, they owe me $40,000. They haven't paid me. Like, I'm just going to walk away. Like, or, you know, there's all these inaccuracies. Like I'm just not getting paid, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, just, if you just do the right thing, you know, by the patients, by the staff, I think generally, especially in a smaller community, that that will get out. So, and I think that's a, from my own own experience was, and with Chris, by being able to go into the practice before you buy it a little bit, meet the staff, see how things are run. If it's a practice that's been there for 30, 40, 50 years, like my practice was, like Chris's was, and you had the same staff or the previous dentist had that same staff for a long time, then they're probably, I would hope, getting treated in a, a good way at that point. And you can be a little bit more confident that you're also getting a good staff with the office that you're buying. Uh, and as long as, like you said, treating people the right way and really retaining that good staff, because whenever the couple of times I've had to look for new staff members because people retired or whatever, uh, that's a financial toll by being understaffed by advertising to bring somebody in. And it's also an emotional toll, not on, not only on you as the owner, uh, trying to find that right person to fit inside that dental family. But, um, it's also, you know, stressful on the other, uh, staff members because they're picking up the slack while that other person's missing. So I, I, I completely agree with Chris when he says, you know, treat people right. And, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll stick around with you for the long term. And that's the, the biggest advantage of, of that small community where there isn't a lot of practices they can jump around to. And if you treat them right, words are going to get around that you're a good person to work for. What about, um, when you first took over, right? I'm sure that there you might have lost patients. What do you think the percentage of patients that you lost because of the fact that they're like, well, you're not Dr. Black, I'm gonna have to go somewhere else or, you know, just again, that, you know, hey, he gave me a discount, you know, you're not giving me a discount, you know? Sure. So so like, what is the, what do you think the percentage was and how did you kind of go through that? I'm trying to think about it in my head. I mean, I would say, I would like to believe that that's a small number, but it's probably not as small as I want to believe that it is. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm, now I'm thinking about, you know, patients will actually come up and ask like, Hey, like Dr. Black used to wrote off, he wrote off all my copays. Are you willing to do that? And you know, initially, initially I'd be like, well, you know, just for this visit. Sure. And now it's like, Hey, look, I'll, I'll work with you. I'll give you like a 10%, you know, family and friends right off, but you know, I can't just be, you know, writing this off kind of thing. So I think I would like to believe it's probably 10 to 20% of patients have left or found another office closer to home, but it could be substantially more or less. I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing at this point. Well, yeah. And then I think the stats and Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it usually like 20 to 30% of people actually leave whenever a new provider buys the practice? Like, I, I felt like it was like one third. I, I've never actually heard that stat. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would, for, for any patients that are listening, uh, we can't write your copays off. Like, that is, that's insurance fraud. We sign a contract <laughs> with the insurance company. You guys right. sign a, a contract with your insurance company. We have to follow this or else it's insurance fraud. So, <laughs> You might have gotten by for 30 years by not paying something you should, but if you leave the office, the whatever office you're going to go to, you're going to pay those same co-pays. Oh, why switch everything up? Stop being stupid. Follow the contract. Well, they're not being stupid. It's they're, they're getting away with it because they're allowed to get away with it. Right, right. right. Like imagine yeah. if someone said to you, oh, well, you don't have to pay me today. And then the next time you're like, oh, I don't have to pay you again, right? Like you go to a grocery store and you don't have to pay. Yeah. You're not, you know, you're not breaking the law because someone was like, "Hey, I work here; it's mine. You don't have to pay. Cool. See ya. Thank you." 
yeah. like question that. <laughs> 30 years, you just saved me thousands of dollars. Why would I question that? You're the best dentist I've ever, ever, ever had. <laughs> you know? They're not being stupid. You're being stupid, but they're not. Good you know point. what I mean? Good Why point. not ask? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, so how, how has it been uh, when it comes to balancing family life now? with ownership because now you're taking on more responsibility and you 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 know you know and again congratulations you have a what 13 month old now right yes so how has that been with that transition right because now it's not you're not an associate in the practice where you're just working and leave you have to deal with a lot more and and more importantly how has it affected your surfing okay (laughs) (laughs) you know i think one of the things my wife really insisted upon, you know, and she'd been trying to get me to do it for years is to cut out that fifth day a week. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's a Monday or Friday, whatever day a week, I think, you know, I just found that that took too much of a personal toll. So I've basically been working four days a week. You know, I don't mind if they're longer days. Um, but you know, some days, 10, 11, 12 hours, you know, that's not all clinical, you know, work you know it's a lot of paperwork whatever staff management issues um but i think really having that extra day is you know for me at least it kind of recharges me i want to go back into the office on monday um i think without that i would just slowly get burned out you know i think kyle can probably attest to this like you know taking a trip maybe every six months or every four months just to kind of you know, take a couple of days off is, is really key. I think um, my personally, my family, um, you know, it's my wife, myself and our son. Uh, we actually, my wife works full time. Um, she's a physician assistant. So she works in a local urgent care. Um, and her job has kind of been a little bit all over the place just because we are so relying upon tourists here that the local urgent care has basically, you know, is seeing maybe a third of the number of patients that they saw in the past. So they, they put her in pediatrics. So um, one of the things that we did to kind of make it easier was we got an au pair. Um, oh. Yeah, from Brazil. So her name is Paula. And uh, yeah, when she and I are both working, um, Paula takes care of Jack. So I think that that's really alleviated a lot of the stress. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I'm all for that. You know, it's just just because you know childcare on the island is so expensive. Mm. You know, we had to pay someone whatever uh, the going rate would be is probably like fifteen twenty dollars an hour, um, and you just can't find somebody with COVID. You know, we, we looked locally, we tried to find someone and it was nearly impossible. Um, so in terms of surfing, I, um, because of the au pair, I still get to surf at least a couple of days a week. So I've, I've been happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, I love the fact that that is the most important thing Kyle could ask. <laughs> this podcast is about management and business and he's like, about the surfing let's hey, talk about it the uh the, the stress of owning a dental practice we all have to find our own uh yeah. releases and mm-hmm. uh surfing is i mean anything with the ocean in hawaii is you know right. pretty integral to life and chris is one of those guys that the bigger the waves the better and when I lived down there with him, it was, there were several times where I thought we, I, we were going to die going out and Chris is, nah, man, it's going to be good. Let's go. And, and it's, <laughs> he, he is, uh, he's fearless when it comes to not just surfing, but you know, other aspects of life. So now surfing is a big part of his life, uh, before marriage, before having a baby. And it's, it's good to still have those uh your own releases even after uh other things start to come into life let's talk about let's talk about referrals how how is that on an island like do you have an do you have an oral surgeon do you have because kyle always talks about how hard it is to get into this the schedule of the specialist how is that looking for you yeah i completely agree i mean our local we have one oral surgeon 
Jeez. We, we, used, <laughs> we used to have a periodontist. We, I don't think he's practicing anymore, so we don't have a, a reliable periodontist we can refer to. Uh, I might got, move it. I might, I might need to pick up. <laughs> yeah, man, <if> you <laughs> I might, I might be picking up surfing. <laughs> yeah, I'll take you out anytime you want to go. Um, there's one orthodontist. Um, there's one endodontist. Okay. So, what I've found is I, I've been doing a lot more oral surgery just because I've found that the patients hate going to the oral surgeon generally. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of like implants, I've placed a couple in the past but you know i'm not totally confident in doing it so what i'm going to try to do is get you know one of my periodontist buddies to fly over you know maybe a couple times a month just for you know perio surgeries and right. things like that but yeah i mean i think just to get patients into a specialist you know even the endodontist i mean they're you know somebody's in pain and you know they may or may not be able to see them within a few days so i'll generally you know treat a lot of endodontic emergencies um so yeah i think you kind of become more of a jack of all trades in a smaller community like this um w which is good but i think uh it's, it's just a different practice model if you were in a big city you would probably you know refer a lot of those cases out but i think here um the patients generally appreciate it i i think uh you know, you don't want to get in too far over your head, but, you know, at a certain point, I think you'll kind of challenge yourself with some of those cases, you know, and generally they've, they've turned out pretty well. And, and I think something a lot of the dental community is worried about is lawyers and litigation and getting sued. Uh, I, one of the benefits of the smaller communities is because you have that more of a friends and family relationship with people, I don't think that litigation rate is quite as high. And if you know, you're explaining everything to the patient and uh, they understand that oh, I can't just go down to the street to the oral surgeon and get in within you know, a week or two, um, as long as you're willing to you know, try your best and, and kind of warn them like, this is something that could happen. I mean, we're not going into you know, cutting out oral cancer and, and things like that. We're do what you know, you're comfortable with, but I, I think they have a, they're more understanding of what the limitations are of an island or a small town or, or something along those lines. And they just appreciate that you're willing to, and you're knowledgeable enough to, to help them with most aspects of what their needs are. And yeah, if, I, if, I, if something goes wrong, like they're not, they, uh, I, I think they're more understanding where, maybe in a big city they're they're looking to sue yeah they're not going to call their lawyer tomorrow and just be like he did this to me like blah 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 yeah i i, I haven't found that here on Kauai. so and, uh, let me ask about insurance uh the office is it a lot of insurance that he, t he used to take or you take or is was it more fee for service how did it all work out it's basically he took one major insurance. It's called Hawaii Dental Service. It's part of Delta Dental. Okay. Um, so that was his main insurance. Uh, that was the only one he was par with. Um, there's a lot of kind of older patients in the practice. So there's a lot of Humana, which he was not par with, mm -hmm. which I'm currently credentialing with just because of the, the numbers. You know, it might have been you know, 25 or 30% fee for service, which I was actually surprised by. I, I thought that it was a lot more insurance based. So um, we'll actually have a decent number of patients who will come in and pay cash, you know, literal cash. I'm just like, whoa, we gotta, go, <laughs> we gotta walk across the street to the bank today. You know, which by that because nobody pays cash for anything but <laughs> so what it sounds like what, what kind of boards uh, now i'm actually just looking to find out what kind of board i'm gonna buy there you, you know? go <laughs> <laughs> more, more, i'm like okay so what kind of boards do i do i do i surf with guys you know <laughs> i mean start off on a long board i've got Thank plenty you. if you want to borrow them and listen <laughs> it, it sounds amazing man no i'm serious i like I'm, I'm i'm liking the vibe of just kind of you know what? Everybody's everybody's there. You're looking out for each other. You're not taking a lot of insurance because insurance, man, like 
I feel like insurance, Kyle, we're not gonna have you go on a rant, but I feel like, I feel like insurance will literally take 30 to 40% of your overall production just based on insurance and how much they cut away from, from your uh, UCF. Yep. You know what I mean? Like if there was no insurance, this is how much you, let's say it was like $100. With insurance, you're looking at like maybe 60 to $70, you know? Right. Yep. Yeah. And I just, I mean, like that's a lot of money when you look at how much you could have possibly made on the procedure versus how much you actually make. And it's not like you're going to do less for that patient. You're still, the quality is still going to be there. You know, it's just insurance is not paying you anything for it. Right. Can we talk, um, how, how did uh, COVID affect your ability to get supplies? So mm-hmm. Hawaii is pretty far out there. So there, there's no real availability of overnight shipping or, or things that I could, uh, you know, in the mainland that you can get a, a little faster as far as lab cases or, you know, we all struggled with PPE and other supplies because of the whole shutdown of the supply chain. Do you feel like that hit you harder being in Hawaii and some of the travel restrictions, some of the the other things? Did you have to plan out further in in advance? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the aspects that I never had to worry about, you know, being in associates, you know, working for somebody else, you know, was basically ordering supplies and just making sure we have whatever on hand that we need to use. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, gloves, masks, gowns, things like that. I, I initially, you know, used some big online retailers. You know, I, I have accounts with Patterson Dental, Henry Shine, Scott's Dental. Um, what is it? Net 32. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So all these, all these big retailers, what I found is, you know, a lot of the mainland based um, suppliers like Net 32 and Scott's, you know, getting supplies from them was particularly difficult. You know, it was kind of hit or miss. Um, the local Shine and Patterson were actually a little bit better. Um, some things you can get shipped in a couple days, you know, if they have them in stock on Oahu, which is basically the central location. Um, but I guess what I had trouble getting was local anesthetic at times. Um, so I would just place huge bulk orders for, you know, I don't know, 10 cases of it and just, you know, so that, that was one thing I had trouble with. Um, I think gloves are something I, you know, always have an issue with. I think shine will only let you order six or seven boxes at a time. So there's no, no big cases that you can't order 20 boxes. So I'm just constantly scrounging for those. Um, what I found is actually our local Costco will actually stock nitrile gloves every once in a, once in a while. So, if you're not particular, that might work. Well, I, it's not even, no, Costco is amazing. I buy gloves from yeah. Costco. <laughs> like, yeah, don't yeah. don't, don't yeah. undervalue Costco. No, right? no. That's, that's, that's blasphemy in my eyes. <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree with you. I, when I was looking for gloves, I, I, I walked into Costco the one day. It's like, they're cheaper here than I, I could get a China and they're in stock. Like, absolutely, yeah. I'm going to buy them here. Right, right. So, so talking to your friends that you graduated with, like, how do you see like the way they're, you know, they're hustling versus the way you're hustling now? Like, I can already tell that you, you're just a chill guy from the get go. So maybe things don't bother you. And Kyle's crazy that way too. But <laughs> when, when it comes to other people, you know what I mean? Now that you've transitioned to ownership and you made, I'm sure you know people who are still associates and stuff. Like, how do you see that transition and just kind of like the conversations you have with people? I mean, I would say that, you know, I'm still in that kind of fight or flight mode, you know, and I think I'm going to be in that for a while, you know, just, you know, looking at like spear videos and stuff. They're like the first two years, you're just in this mode where it's just like, I got to do this to be able to pay the bills. Um, I I always think about what Kyle says, you know, generally 99% of dentists are successful. It's the 1% with substance abuse problems and things like that, that are going to go down. But that's yeah, a, that's I think. Nice quote, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> that's really uplifting, Kyle. We're all funny. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm still in that kind of mode where it's like, man, I gotta like, I gotta do the very best, and you know, see, you know, a lot of patients, and then you know, I'm starting to like loosen up just a little bit, and you know, I, I 
think somewhere in the back of my head, there was this kind of voice saying like, you gotta just keep pushing forward. Just, just keep going. It's going to be okay. But you know, it's still scary. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a part of me that thinks like, why isn't every dentist at some point making the jump to private practice? Because I think that it, it's, it's in your best interest in 90% of cases, you know, there's definitely some, you know, providers that would benefit from corporate structure. But I think if you can get through dental school, if you have that kind of drive, I think you should be in charge of your own destiny and not another person or company. So. Absolutely. That's. Uh, we're, we're biased, I think. I mean, only the crackhead dentists don't make it. So that's how I look at it. Now. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. And that I, I feel like that feeling of failure or potential failure doesn't go away. I mean, I, I'm three years in and I still worry about that, that, you know, is this decision I'm going to make today going to affect my business? Are patients going to continue to come in next month? And uh, yeah, I, I think COVID really helped with that because even after a pandemic shut the country down, you know, a lot of dental practices came back stronger than ever. And, and it, it just speaks to the, the fact efficient. that we, more efficient, you know, we, we had time to focus on the business aspect of it and maybe fix some things. But dentistry is always going to be around. People are always going to have cavities. They're always going to need a tooth pulled or root canals or gum disease or any of the things that we treat. And we've put ourselves in a position in a, a, a profession that you know, we have job security forever. There's never going to be a robot to replace us as long as it goes back to what Chris said, as long as we're good people doing the right thing, taking care of our staff, taking care of our patients, we're, we're not going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to make it. Well, Chris, let me ask you this. Um, when it comes to paying yourself, because you still got to live, right? Are you doing, you know, one method, which is basically paying yourself a percentage or are you doing the, let me pay myself after I paid everybody else? Yeah. So for the or, first, or, oh, I'm sorry. Or the third option would be using the bank to pay yourself. So basically for the first few months, the accountants were like, you're not going to get a paycheck, you know, make sure you can, you know, survive. And I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. Um, you know, after we kind of demonstrate, so everybody else got paid before I did, you know, all the staff, the suppliers, everybody, except me, which is fine. But, you know, after, I don't know, two, three months, you know, we, we were doing okay. There was a little bit left over. I, I took, you know, a relatively modest pay, ah, paycheck, you know, probably a third of what I was making in the corporate dental world. Um, you know, it's been bumped up a little bit, but my paychecks are still you know, significantly less than I was making. But I think um, on the flip side of that, you know, whatever profits we're making are going into our, you know, company bank account. And I basically haven't touched it. So, you know, we can use that to set up 401ks for the employees, which is what I'm doing now. Um, just another way to hopefully keep them. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of viewing it more as like a long-term decision because, you know, I hopefully want to be doing this for a while and, you know, I want to, you know, the staff to be happy and my family to be happy here. So, um, you know, I don't mind taking a pay cut, you know, as long as, you know, I can kind of see the end goal, which is saving for retirement and, um, you know, providing for the staff. So, so. Chris and I use the same account, account uh, accounting group, practice CFO. They're based out of California. Uh, and I, I pay myself basically the same way. And the, the way I look at it, we look at it, is uh, a lot of dental or dentists that don't have a dental-specific CPA, uh, they'll basically pay all the bills, anything that's left over for the month. Great. I, this is what I'm making you know, this month or this paycheck or whatever. And I've heard of several offices or dentists that are kind of living paycheck to paycheck because they're not managing their money well. If there's money in the bank account, they're spending it. Whereas if you look at it as a business owner, 
and you're the only dentist, you, you, you play two roles. One is that business owner, one is you as the dentist. So as the dentist, continue to pay yourself as, you know, as if you're working as your own associate. So pick a percent, you know, 25, 30, 35, whatever the going rate is, this is what I would make as an associate, leave the rest in your business account. That's all the profits of the business. It's kind of a, a built-in savings account for you because one, it's an emergency fund for the business. You don't have to worry about running out of money. If you need something personally, you can pull it out at that point as a as a distribution. Uh, but it's being frugal with your money. It's you know not wasting it on on that doctor lifestyle or you know whatever you want to spend your money on. Just being smart about it and. That way, if you ever want to step back away from that dentist role and you want to become just the business owner, you have a better idea of this is what I would be paying a dentist to come work for me, that 30, 35% or whatever. And this is potentially the what I would have still in the bank account that I make as a business owner. So it's, it's nice to have that little bit of separation in my mind uh, of what those two roles pay or compensate me for. All right. Uh, I guess the last question would just be overall, do you think that, well, do you think you should have started earlier? And do you think that you doing it during COVID was something that is just like, you know what, I'm ready for it. No matter what, I'm not ready. Let's just get it done. And it just happened that during COVID is when you were able to do it. I mean, to purchase an office. I think I probably would have been ready a little bit earlier. I think what I wanted to avoid was a startup. You know, I, I've seen other startups in the island and I think they've done well, but I personally wasn't really set to go down that road. I, I think I was kind of looking to acquire something. And I think because of that, you know, it took a lot longer to find the right practice. But I think a couple years sooner, I, I would have been fine. I, I think, you know, right out of school or right out of, you know, residency would not have been the right move. Um, and I think uh, during COVID, I, I still had some hesitation buying the practice then. I mean, I think you always do. There's always doubts. Um, but I think it was more just the right opportunity, maybe because of COVID, not, you know, I'm going to do this during COVID because I have the extra time. I think it was more just it kind of fell into place then. So um, I, I think COVID kind of forced a lot of, the older providers out, you know, into, into retirement, maybe not forced, but maybe they just said, look, I'm financially set, you know, it's not worth it to have to practice with these additional regulations and, you know, pr protective equipment. So. Plus they're willing to give you a better deal. Uh, they may be not be looking for top dollar for their practice because it is a pandemic. Uh, they're, they're willing to take that lower price, which is better for, you know, young dentists coming out with a bunch of debt, uh, you know, trying to start something up. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with your, with being on Kauai, uh, can you kind of explain, not from a dental view, but what, uh, what life is like as a dentist pre-COVID, kind of what life was like during COVID with travel restrictions and how you see moving forward because didn't Kauai recently lift some travel restrictions, what that, what you're hoping, you know, the next six months to a year looks like for you as, as a business owner. Sure. I think, you know, on April 5th, we basically the, the Island of Kauai reopened to tourists who, mm -hmm. if they would have taken a negative COVID test within 72 hours, they can travel here um, prior to April 5th we had a quarantine system in place. So if you were uh, from the mainland or, you know, a returning resident, you have to quarantine for 10 days. It, it was initially 14 days and then they, they cut that down. So, yeah, that was a huge deterrent. You know, tourism makes up maybe 70% of the economy here. So, you know, the economy just took a huge nosedive. Um, I personally had a baby right at the start of COVID. So, that was kind of a blessing. I got to spend a, a few extra months with Jack, which 
you know, otherwise wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Uh, so that was great. Um, but yeah, my wife and I finish, uh, up until a couple of weeks ago, we hadn't traveled for almost two years, you know, just because of the pandemic and, you know, the pregnancy. Um, we recently went to Wyoming for a week uh, and did some CE. So, you know, hopefully, you know, travel is going to increase. You know, there's definitely more tourists in the island. I think uh, the economy is going to rebound. I'm not worried about that. I think we'll we'll be just fine. But I think that the quarantine really dramatically hurt the island in a, in a number of different ways. So, um, and, and, and again, I think that speaks to how great of a profession dentistry is that while most other businesses are struggling, like people are still coming in your door, like businesses are shutting down all over Kauai and you're still open. You're still you know, doing well. You're still paying staff. You're um, still able to have a business where a lot of other, you know, especially in a, a tourism based economy, um, a lot of other businesses, aren't doing well. It's dentistry, medical. Those are things that are always going to be around. People are always going to need them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, so, some patients did lose their insurances, but I think at this point, most of the hotels are reopening. So most patients are, you know, reacquiring that. So that's good. Did, oh, I mean, yeah. I, I'm jealous. I'm <laughs> you know, and by the way, if, if you're watching this again, that's actually a real background, not not like our. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on to the show, uh, yeah. talking, let people know kind of a, another aspect of the world um, where you're practicing. So, uh, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to? Well, and then also, also, how did they get a hold of you? If it maybe. You know, another uh, another uh, Chris was to you know come out there. Another Kyle was to come out there. You know, what I mean, mm -hmm. they have a connection with somebody like yourself. You know, yeah, you can contact me anytime. Uh, the practice name is Garden Island Dental. Um, you can uh, send me an email, Garden Island Dental at gmail dot com. Um, you can also call the practice eight zero eight two four five three five eight two. And yeah, if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. That just sounds so inviting, you know. What I mean, Garden Island Dental. That's just, yeah. <laughs> hey, I hate life. <laughs> you gotta come out and surf, man. Oh, oh, don't don't worry about it. I'm coming out there, man. Like All that's right, a given. I'm I'm going out there, and Kyle. You're coming out there with me, man. You uh, I, I, if you're gonna I, twist my arm, I guess I'll make right, a trip. <laughs> right, right. No, man, you're gonna you're gonna teach me how to surf, so I have a reason to just come out there and live out there, man. Perfect. This is amazing. This is amazing. But, oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, this this actually rejuvenated me to know that there's a better world outside of uh, Houston. So it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome, man. But no, Chris, uh, thank you again for coming on, buddy. Thank you, Walt. Thank you, Kyle. I really appreciate it.